You're listening to Be Health Connected, a podcast by the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition. Your host for today's episode is Lauren Rimsbecker, BHC Senior Director of Member Engagement and Communications. Hello, my name is Lauren Remsbecker, and welcome back to the BHC's Be Health Connected podcast. Many of us have experienced a headache in our lifetime, but for those suffering from migraines, headaches present themselves in a much more severe and debilitating form. Although a recognized medical condition among both patients and providers alike, there is still much work to be done to increase awareness of migraines as a disease their impact on those suffering, and the potential implications for employers. Joining us today to discuss these topics is Dr. Patricia Jacob, AbbVie's Director of Medical Payer Strategy for Migraine, as well as someone that battles migraine disease herself, and Dr. Erin Homan, a pharmacist and medical outcome science liaison with AbbVie. Thank you both for joining us today. Happy to be here, thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Great to be here. Now, Erin, I think we're going to start with you. Can you start by helping our listeners to understand what a migraine actually is? Yeah, absolutely, Lauren. It can be hard for people to conceptualize migraine as a chronic disease since we use the words migraine and headache in everyday language to describe various situations. For example, someone may say, I have a headache just thinking of all the things I have to do tomorrow. Most people who do not have migraine disease are unaware that the World Health Organization places migraine as one of the 10 most disabling medical illnesses in the world. In fact, migraine is considered the second most disabling disease after low back pain. So as we discussed migraine disease today, I hope the audience can appreciate that migraine disease is much more than what most people envision as a typical headache and that the audience is able to understand the difference between headache and migraine. Um, Migraine is a subset of headache, but it is a complex chronic disease with recurrent attacks that are often incapacitating. It is widely documented that the beginnings of a migraine occur several hours to days before a person with migraine actually experiences the headache phase of a migraine. A migraine attack is not just the intense pulsing or throbbing pain in one area of the head. People with migraine may typically experience one or more accompanying symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, sensitivity to light and sound. The migraine attack can even last four to 72 hours if untreated or not appropriately treated. The frequencies of attack varies and might occur rarely or several times a month. And about 70% of people with migraine are able to identify signs and symptoms that a migraine attack may happen. Those signs and symptoms leading up to the migraine attack can include visual disturbances, yawning, irritability, depression, sleep disturbances, and food cravings. Even after the migraine attack has subsided, people with migraine can continue to experience attack or pre-attack symptoms such as fatigue, inability to concentrate, anxiety, and depression. 
and anxiety and depression could continue during the period between the end of an attack and the beginning of a new attack. I'd really like to highlight two main reasons as to why migraine disease is difficult to treat. One, uh, no two people with migraine are alike, and even within the same person, no two migraine attacks are alike. Secondly, most people with migraine disease have at least one comorbidity, which means having two or more chronic medical conditions that occur together at a greater than coincidental rate than what appears in the general population. Common comorbidities include depression, anxiety, cardiovascular disorders, and obesity. So Lauren, this really reinforces that the approach to migraine treatment is not a one-size-fits-all approach and should be individualized for each person. Thank you for that background information, Erin, and I agree that tailoring is a very important approach when it comes to these types of disease states. So who are the people living with migraine disease currently? Yes, uh, great question. The prevalence of migraine has remained fairly stable over the last 30 years and is estimated to be approximately 12% of the adult population in the United States, which equates to over 30 million adults who have migraine disease. To put that into context for the audience, migraine prevalence is higher than the prevalence of diabetes and prevalence of asthma. 92% of people with migraine disease experience less than 15 headache days per month, while the remaining 8% experiencing 15 or more headache days per month. And even though the majority of people with migraine disease experience less than 15 headache days per month, 50% of people with migraine ex who experience at least two migraine attacks per month have moderate to severe disability. As frequency of attacks increases, the percentage of people with migraine experiencing moderate to severe disability also increases. Migraine most commonly occurs between the ages of 18 and 50 and disproportionately affects women three times more often than men. Migraine is the number one cause of years lived with disability in women under 50 years of age. And it's important to note that the prevalence of migraine in the Caucasian, African-American, and Hispanic populations are similar at approximately 14 to 17%, and the prevalence is about 10% in the Asian population. On the National Headache Foundation website, um, the audience can locate an example migraine journeys of people with migraine disease. One person stated that her migraine journey began in high school and described experiencing occasional headaches. The frequency of the headaches increased while she was in college and continued to progress in her 30s to the point where she was prescribed preventive medication to prevent a migraine attack. I really appreciate that additional explanation, Erin. And I think I heard you say that the most common age of migraine occurrence is 18 to 50 years old. So I expect that our listeners are probably thinking the same thing I am, which is these are our employees in the most productive, professional, and, and personal years of their life. So Patricia, can you expand a little more on why migraine is such a concerning disease? 
So migraine disease can affect the function of an individual in many societal settings, such as their family life, social activities, and the workplace. It is important to emphasize that the burden of disease does not only affect the person with migraine, but impacts the family as well and can interfere with child wearing and taking care of elderly parents. 16 to 36% of children who have a migraine parent report finding it harder to concentrate on schoolwork. 30 to 40% of people with migraine report that their spousal relationship has been affected. And as migraine frequency increased, the negative impact on relationships also increased. Approximately 19% of people with migraine disease in their peak employment years report experiencing migraine or severe headache in the previous three months. This societal burden is magnified in women less than 50 years of age at a time when work productivity is often at its peak and therefore can impact an individual's career stability and financial success. Over half of women with migraine experience six or more lost work days each year as a result of migraine attacks compared to 38% of men. Employers may not be aware that the six or more lost work days equates to about 113 million work days lost and that decrease in work productivity is doubled in people with migraine disease who are not appropriately treated. Employers may not be aware that in people with migraine, experiencing at least four migraine attacks a month, indirect costs, probably due to absenteeism, short-term disability and workers' compensation claims is almost tripled compared to a person who does not have migraine. And that when projected to a national level, migraine disease can cost employers approximately $12 billion a year. Migraine disease has a profound impact on the healthcare system, having direct costs of about $9,000 more in a person with migraine compared to a person who does not have migraine. Direct costs includes visits to the doctor, emergency room, and medications. Just such stunning statistics about the impact of this disease. So now that we've really set the foundation for why this is so problematic, can you, Patricia, provide an overview of the treatment landscape in migraine disease? Sure. 
What exactly causes a migraine is still under debate. And as a result, there is no cure yet for migraine disease. There are two main goals for migraine treatment. One, relieve the symptoms during an attack. Two, prevent attacks from occurring. All people with a confirmed diagnosis of migraine should be offered a trial of acute pharmacological and or non-pharmacologic treatment. People with migraine disease should talk with their healthcare provider to determine the best individualized treatment and should be encouraged to explore non-pharmacologic treatment. Only using non-pharmacological treatment is reserved for people with migraine disease who have low frequency attacks. That is three or less in a month and do not want to take medications or for people with migraine who have tried everything possible but do not get adequate migraine relief from the medication. Non-pharmacological treatments include non-pharmacological neuromodulation devices, which work by stimulating the central nervous system, food or dietary supplements that provide medicinal or health benefits, and also behavioral techniques such as relaxation and biofeedback. Pharmacological treatment is divided into two categories. One, acute treatment, and two, preventive treatment. Regardless of how frequent migraine attacks occur, people with migraine should be prescribed an acute treatment for when a migraine attack occurs. The goal of acute treatment is freedom from pain and bothersome symptoms such as nausea, sensitivity to light and sound. Healthcare practitioners can prescribe acute treatments that specifically target the cause of migraine, such as triptans, GPANs, dittans, and egotamines or non-migraine specific treatments such as NSAIDs and combination analgesics. Please note that the American Headache Society consensus statement does not include products such as opioids and barbiturates for the acute treatment of migraine. Preventive treatment should be considered based on the level of disability and frequency of monthly attacks in a person with migraine. One of the goals of preventive therapy is to reduce attack frequency, severity, duration, and disability. People with migraine who experience frequent attacks 
and or severe disability should speak to their healthcare practitioner to determine if they are eligible for preventive medication. Several drug classes used for the preventive treatment of migraine and or chronic migraine include CGRP monoclonal antibodies, CGRP GPANs, botulinum toxin type A, certain beta blockers and anticonvulsants, and non-pharmacological neuromodulation devices. It is really important that all people with migraine know how to identify and minimize exposure to migraine triggers, as well as the benefits of proper nutrition, regular exercise, adequate hydration, proper sleep, stress management, and the maintenance of a migraine diary. All people with migraine should be provided with several treatment options and educated as to what to expect in terms of efficacy and side effects. Now, Erin, we have spent a lot of time in today's episode talking about the negative impact of migraine disease on both the individual and their families, as well as work productivity and the healthcare system. So when we think about our listeners today, what can employers do to help employees manage this condition? That's a great question, Lauren. We have seen efforts described in research that employers are taking to help employees. According to the Harvard Business Review last year, research supports practical strategies that employers can implement to help employees with migraine and positively impact productivity. These strategies include migraine education, migraine management, and creating a supportive environment. Educational programs have been shown to increase productivity by 29 to 36%. Education should include all employees and not be limited to those with migraine because this approach can help people who do not have migraine disease have a better understanding of the serious, chronic, and debilitating nature of the disease as well as minimize stigma associated with migraine disease. Migraine management programs can vary in their components such as disease awareness, education, diagnosis, healthcare provider access, treatment, and one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the cost associated can be substantial depending on the program, but has the potential to have a positive return on the investment in cost savings associated with improved productivity. And lastly, employers can take steps to create a workplace environment with migraine triggers in mind. Triggers in the workplace can include bright lighting, strong odors or perfumes, computer screen glare. And to minimize these triggers, um, employers may consider adjustable lighting, reducing noise levels, promoting a fragrance-free workplace, and installing anti-glare screen on computers. And as mentioned earlier, a one-size-fits-all approach is not likely to be successful for people who have migraine disease. 
Employers may also consider flexible scheduling, such as allowing employees to come in earlier in the morning or after normal business hours with less noise and less triggers, or even split shifts. Additional considerations may include benefit designs allowing for access to effective migraine medications, specialists such as neurologists, treatment for comorbidities, alternative nutrition counseling, and alternative treatments such as cognitive behavioral treatment. These are all excellent suggestions, Erin. I'm wondering if you've heard or seen any employers that have actually started to implement these types of programs and that have been successful. Yes, Lauren, that's actually a very timely uh, question. Just this year, an article was published looking at the impact of a virtual migraine education program in a large metropolitan school district. And the program included virtually delivered education on topics such as understanding migraine headache, recognizing migraine triggers, evidence-based treatment, self-management of migraine, and reduction of the total burden of migraine. Over the course of the three months, employees enrolled in the program were given a baseline survey, provided access to a variety of migraine education resources, including videos as, as well as live webinars, um, followed by a post-program survey. The surveys included questions on the person's migraine demographics, migraine triggers, frequency, severity, treatment, as well as on the job productivity loss. 36% of the 217 workplace migraine education program participants completed both the baseline and the post-program survey. At baseline, 25% of people with migraine reported seven or more headaches in the previous four weeks, and this dropped significantly to 16.4% after the three-month program. Additionally, improvement was seen in self-reported migraine severity and effectiveness while at work. And similarly, there was a significant reduction in the use of prescription medications to prevent and treat migraine, over-the-counter medication use was decreased, and 92% of the participants reported no days using prescription opioid medications. On-the-job productivity loss, also known as presenteeism, was measured using a work limitations questionnaire across four categories, time management, physical activities, mental and interpersonal activities, and overall output a significant reduction in lost productivity was observed for a majority of the migraine severity groups. Additionally, a majority of participants made changes based on their learnings in the migraine education program to reduce triggers, use stress management techniques to manage their migraines, and reported the program as extremely helpful. It's so optimistic to see that results like this are possible. I'm wondering, Patricia, for our listeners that are ready to take action uh, with migraine disease, where can they go to find resources uh, to start learning more about this condition, the clinical and economic burden, and how to Im positively impact the workplace? There are several resources available online for employers. Of course, we can't recommend or endorse these specifically, but I can list a few to provide a starting point for employers. The International Headache Society, IHS, is partnered with Global Patient Advocacy Coalition, 
the 2019 IHS GPAC Advocacy um, Initiative encourages employers to make workplaces around the globe more accommodating for those impacted by migraine. IHS GPAC is partnering with a global employer to develop a pilot program focused on person with migraine wellness in the workplace that will serve as a foundation for wider efforts to shift employer and community mindset around the globe. Another program, Migraine at Work, is for both employees and employers and is AbbVie sponsored. Employees with migraine can learn from leading experts and what they need to do on their journey to migraine freedom. Employers can learn how to build a migraine-friendly workplace, retain top talent, and improve productivity. The third one is the National Headache Foundation, which includes resources and tools for healthcare providers, people with migraine, and employers. Of particular note is the American Migraine Foundation launched the Move Against Migraine Initiative to mobilize and empower those living with migraine. Through their movement, access to migraine information is provided. Well, Patricia and Erin, thank you so much again for joining us today and opening our eyes to the effects of migraine disease, as well as the opportunities for employers to really have an impact. As we close today's episode, I'm wondering if you have any final remarks for our audience. Yes, yeah, so migraine is a chronic disease which occurs three times more often in women than in men and can affect the function of an individual in many societal settings, such as their family life, social activities, and the workplace. Employers can help provide a work environment and resources for employees with migraine to improve work productivity. Thank you for listening to the Be Health Connected podcast. For additional episodes or to learn more about employer resources available through the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition, please visit www.stlbhc.org.